I'm going to try to finish our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be in chapter 7 tonight. And by way of sort of uh, recall or recap, um, my heart behind us considering something so familiar, something that is appealed to by Christians and non-Christians alike, something that seems to be universally accepted, at least in part, why would I want us to give ourselves to it? And here's why. Because I wanted RUF at ECU to begin to relate to Jesus in a way that maybe some of you haven't. It's to relate to him as king. Many of us are very familiar with relating to Jesus as our priest, right? Who, who, who lived for us and he died for us and he rescues us. But the Sermon on the Mount is, is, a, is a vision uh, for life living in right relationship to our king. And I wanted us to try that on. I wanted us to try to put some of the things that, that Jesus describes as the best life, living beneath his kingship. So that's what we've been hopefully uh, considering. That's hopefully what's been resonating with you, what it looks like uh, to, to experience and to walk in the grace of Jesus. So tonight we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. I think they're going to be up on here on the screen. Thanks, Lydia. So I'm going to read. And then I'll pray, and then we'll get going. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Good evening, King. Hello, Shepherd. Hey, Father. We want to be still with you and before you. We want to see you as you are. We want to be humbled by your presence. We want to be embraced um, by your care. Jesus, would you guide us through your sermon tonight one last time? Spirit, would you bear witness in our hearts that these words are true, that we can bank our entire lives on these? Convince us yet again to sit in the chair of Jesus, to trust him with all of our hearts and with all of our lives. We ask this in your name. Amen. There are two parallel uh, sort of cultural virtues uh, at work uh, in, in, the, in the day and age in which we live that are opposites, that somehow like it's coexist. Let me tell you what they are. You know these really well. On the one hand, it is um, especially virtuous uh, to be uh, open-minded. Right. In fact, uh, the measure with which uh, you, or excuse me, the way in which you're measured to be virtuous is the same measure that you are 
open-minded. So, in other words, to, to be judgmental is to be blackballed, right? And yet, simultaneously, right, the other virtue that is running parallel to this one today is this virtue of raging, of canceling, of judging. How is it that in, in, in our cultural moment, it is both um, the best, uh, to, to be the best is to be open-minded, and yet that same person can cancel or rage or, or throw out someone else. How can these two things coexist? And Jesus has an answer for us tonight. He wasn't trying to answer that question, right? <laughs> he wasn't thinking about this question when he preached this sermon. But as God's eternal and true word, it speaks to that question. And this is the answer. We don't know how to judge well. We lack discernment. Or maybe to put it another way, we misunderstand judgment. Is that tracking at all? The reason that these two seemingly opposite virtues can exist, being especially open-minded, and at the same time be, be, being still virtuous to cancel someone who isn't, the reason that they can coexist, or so they think, is because in all of our hearts, Jesus in this text is saying that we misunderstand judgment. We lack discernment. We misjudge our others. That's what we're going to look at first. We misjudge ourselves. And finally, we misjudge God. So based on our misunderstanding of what, of what good and righteous judgment looks like, we begin to misjudge our friends. We begin to misjudge ourselves. And because everything's out of whack, we begin to misjudge God himself. All right? That's where we're going. So in verses 1 and 2, and then in verse 6, we, we, we see this. We see this right here. Here's the proof that these two things are sort of hanging against each other, open-minded and, and being critical and, and canceling other people. is because we hear these words, judge not. And chances are we misunderstand what Jesus is saying. I know I have, right? Many, many people will, will hear these words of Jesus. They'll appeal to them and say, well, of course he means don't ever say something is wrong or don't ever condemn me or, or these actions. And you see that the logical conclusion of such an attitude, if Jesus were to have them, would be that we should treat good and evil alike. That somehow we should regard moral distinction with matters of indifference. As the nurse in the labor and delivery room said to my wife when she asked for this or for that, you do you. That worked in that situation, actually. You see, we misunderstand what Jesus is saying when he says, judge not. He's not saying we, can't, no, we can no longer have critical Yelp reviews, right? Of course. He's not saying that when we review the courses that we've taken, do you guys still do that? That, that you should be honest with that? My goodness, how helpful would it be if you weren't? He's not saying that if you saw some sort of criminal act that, that, that was terrible, um, that, that, that you should say to yourself, well, I guess, the, you know, I guess they were just having a bad day. No. Do you see? We, we misunderstand the nature of judgment. And so we, we begin right away to misunderstand what, what he's saying when he says judge not. We begin to look at our neighbors and it's like, well, you know what? I'm just going to throw my hands up. That's, that's not on me. You see, what Jesus is speaking to is not disagreement, but despising people. 
a critical spirit, a critical heart. He's pushing on us and saying, you try to put yourself in my shoes. You, You try to put yourself in a position you aren't qualified for. How do you respond when, when, when people disagree with you? Are you able to disagree without despising them? Like, are you actually able to say, I think you are dead wrong, but I don't hate you? This is the measure of judgment Jesus is referring to. Do you, do you see how healthy that actually is? And let me prove to you this is what Jesus is saying, okay? Verse 6, did you catch that really weird verse, like, don't throw to dogs and pigs pearls, lest they, like, trample you? What is he saying? Jesus is saying that our life requires discernment. Requires it. Jesus is saying there are people in this world who act doggish and piggish. Neither of these, obviously, we understand are derogatory terms, right? Dogs were were not domesticated in the ancient culture. Christian lost his dog. Is Christian here? No. I think his, his dog ran away and he was texting some people like, Hey, pray, pray for me um, that, that chief will come back. Dogs in the ancient culture, th- that's not how they lived. They were scavengers. To refer to a human being as a dog or a pig was, was to call them what you think you're being called. It, and the other word he uses in that verse is, is that of a pearl. Now, in the ancient context, a pearl was like a especially wise saying or Uh, something of eternal value. And what Jesus is saying is that, disciples, when when you live in this world, if you act so naive that you don't see that some people despise Jesus, when you throw the gospel toward them, when you communicate what it is that you're about to them, and they reject that right out, if if you don't realize that, you're going to become pushy. If you don't realize that, you're you're just going to try to steamroll people. If you don't realize that, you're going to take things really personal. Over and over again, in the book of Acts, and even in the Gospels themselves, when Jesus is sending out his followers, he tells them to do things like, dust off your feet before people who've rejected me. You see, don't despise the people who despise me, Jesus is saying. Let me deal with them. We misjudge others because we misunderstand judgment. We must have discernment in our life. We must. And he's saying that with the same misjudgment that you apply to your neighbors will be rendered to you. Like the the same thoughts of judgment that you have towards someone else could be used against you. It's a friendly watch out. So we we don't know how to judge well because when we do, we we start to misjudge our neighbors and then and then this and then it gets nasty. It gets really actually kind of funny. We begin to misjudge ourselves. So in verses 3 to 5, there's probably this, this metaphor that you've heard a lot um, uh, talk to, talked about, maybe in, in, in the setting of the church or some other thing, this, this idea of a, of a speck and a log. This is, this is like high humor for Jesus. All right, We're at the top right now, okay? Jesus is talking about somebody walking around with a rafter through their head, all right? Having, some, having something against someone with some sawdust in their eye. Like, I, you've got to see, like, like the, the laughter happening, right? I mean, this is hilarious. Jesus is saying, like, you lack so much discernment that there's this man who's walking around with this plank through his head who is so obnoxious and preoccupied with getting the dust out of someone else's eye. 
In other words, he's so absorbed that he's blind to the own selfishness in his life, which, as he says, is worse than what he sees in someone else's. I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about being shocked versus being saddened by sin. Have you ever heard me say that before? Well, I'm going to say it again. As believers, we're invited to be broken by sin. But, but if you ever encounter people who are shocked by it, they probably don't know their own heart. I think about the tragedies that's happened at the uh, University of Virginia and, and the shooting that's occurred there. And I've been talking to the campus ministers there, and we've been praying, and um, it's just it's, it's terrible. It's horrible. And it breaks our hearts, right? You see, people who follow Jesus, when they see horrendous things happen, terrible um, just selfish things happen. They don't say to themselves or to their neighbors, can you believe he did that? They say, oh, but for the grace of God, go I. Do you see the difference? Jesus has this hilarious image to drive a massive point home. This is the only part in this entire sermon where he calls his own followers hypocrites. Remember, he called the Pharisees, the religious people, who he didn't claim. <laughs> they claimed him. He didn't claim them. The ones who he claimed, he calls you and me hypocrites because he sees this in our life. In other words, we misjudge ourselves because we lack self-awareness. That's the point of the image. We, we, we lack a self-awareness. We, we don't know how other people experience us. We don't understand like some of our own tendencies. We, we lack it. We're, we're totally blind to it. That's the point of this image. Friends, the, the evidence of, of premier selfish living is not people who are having a terrible life. It's people who are having a great life. We, we often think that the people furthest from Jesus are just hating themselves. No. The people furthest from Jesus are so oblivious to him and to the log that's in their own eye. If you're here tonight and, and there's any part of you that's just it's wrestling or, or is struggling or is frustrated with this thing in you or this thing that keeps coming out of you or, or this thought that keeps filling your mind or this place you continue to go, friends, that's evidence of, of Christ at work in you. Okay? It... When you're oblivious is a mark that you, that you don't know him. When you're sensitive, rest assured, rest assured, this is the work of the Spirit in your life. We misjudge ourselves. We lack a self-awareness. This happened in, in the Bible with, with, with King David. You, you may remember the story when, when he deceitfully murders um, the husband of the woman uh, he claimed selfishly for himself. And, and God's prophet at the time was a man named Nathan who approached David, and, and, and he gives sort of this parable to David. And it's a parable about a, a just person um, experiencing injustice. And, and David does what almost all of us do when he hears this, this story. He's like, ah, yeah, let's, that guy needs to go down. Like, that person needs to die. They're terrible. And Nathan looks square at David. You can read about it. 2 Samuel 12. And he says, that's you. 
That's you. And then the Spirit of God at work in David's life produces Psalm 51. Do you see? When, the more that we become aware of the log that is in our eyes, the less we'll even care about the specks that we're trying to, to, to grab out of our, our friends. In the words of Taylor Swift, Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. That's, that's it. That, 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 that's the point. That is the point. I don't know if she meant that, but maybe she did. You see, the heart that has tasted the Lord's grace will always be restrained in its judgment of others because it has seen itself deserving God's good judgment and yet has instead experienced mercy. The person who wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace, says this, If you are right with God, you are apt to be hard on yourself and easy on other people. Did you hear that? If you're right with God, you're apt to be hard on yourself and easy on other people. If you are not right with God, you are apt to be easy on yourself and hard on others. Which one are you? In verse 5, the remedy for this misjudgment that we experience on ourselves is that we take this log out is that instead of being preoccupied with the failures and the frustrations of our roommates and our neighbors and our teachers and our parents, that we begin to see this thing through our heads. We begin to come to terms with the fact that we are the problem. You see, this, this is hard to say, but I think what verse 5 is teaching us is that my biggest problem in my marriage is me. It's me. It's not my kids. It's not my wife. Your biggest problem with your roommates is you. you, you. Friends, when you see this, you will be flattened by the gospel. You will be flattened. You, you, you won't hold anything over anyone, no matter how many times they do it. Because you know that you have zero leg up on them, but for the grace of God. I know we all want to say, man, if this person would just change, would you try on this week, this holiday, this break, this next year? Are you willing to admit or to try to think about, Lord, where is that log? Lord, where is it? I'm oblivious. I don't want to be oblivious anymore. Show me, show me, show me. Be careful what you ask for but he will meet you gently and graciously. See, the problem is that we don't know how to judge well. We, we either cancel people with extreme judgment or, or we think, eh, it doesn't matter. And Jesus is, is moving into, into something so much more beautiful, something so much more gratifying, I hope. We begin to misjudge others, verses 1 to 2. We begin to misjudge ourselves, verses 3 to 5, and then... With everything out of whack, it's only appropriate that we begin to misunderstand God. We begin to misjudge Him. In verses 7 to 12, this is where I want to draw this point out. We lack a certain discernment about our God. In verse 2, we're told that God is a judge. You will be judged, He says, with the judgment with which you render to other people. 
and he's referred to as Father, right? And in verse 11, how much more will your Father give to you? We see the mercy of God in verse 9. Um, if, if you um, who are evil, that's hyperbole, would give your kid uh, not a stone but, but a piece of bread. Can you imagine? Hey, go grab that stone. That's for dinner. What? No. You see, Jesus is being funny. <laughs> like, if, if you give good things, imagine what I can give to you. There's this mercy of, of our God who's connected to this. If you do this, imagine what I would be. You see, the emphasis on this last section is, is not on the skill or the persistence of the prayer of the people, right? It's not, it's not about us. We're actually not the subject of this. It's completely and solely fixated on the character of the Father. That's the whole point of verses 7 to 11, and 12 is simply the concluding thought that wraps it all together. So the next time someone shares with you the golden rule, you'll know exactly its context. You see, the disciples are invited to judge and discern their God's character properly. And it's this, that our God gives mercy through judgment. Let me, let me, let me help us to see this. Friends, if we only see God as judge, you will be so judgmental to other people. If you see Him only as judge, you'll, you'll see Him on a bench rewarding your good behavior and punishing your bad. If you see God only as a referee, you will only want to manage and control other people in your life. If you only see God as Father, you'll likely only see Him as polite and generous, maybe like a boyfriend, but you won't see the cost that He's endured to be so tender to you. In other words, you won't grow. If He is judge, He's committed to justice, but if He's Father, He's committed to mercy. So how? How? Can He be both? This is Jesus. This is the wisdom of the cross. This is the wisdom of Christ, who, who it's only through him that, that, that God is both judge and... Let me make sure this is not Dory. Okay, it's not. Um, I would have to go. Sorry. It's only through Jesus that, 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 that these two things are held uh, together perfectly. Only together in Jesus is God's perfect character held it's only in the cross of Christ that God's intolerance to sin is absorbed and his tolerance towards sinner flows. It's only in Jesus that our sin is canceled so that his son can be canceled for us. He's open-minded toward you because he was judgmental toward your sin. This is the cross. This is mercy. This is how a good God could, could say, I will not let my children cry the rest of their days. I will not let it happen. The world is my playground. This is my sandbox, and it is mine, and I will claim it. Don't you want God's justice? And Jesus, who, who, who makes Psalm 85, says, it is where truth and mercy kiss. Jesus himself bore our punishment. <laughs> let me put it to you this way. Jesus got the stone, friends, so that you could get the bread. Jesus got the snake so that you could get the fish. If you believe that you have been saved by grace alone, that is God's grace only, not because you had anything better to offer than anyone else, because you were not more impressive, not because you were more right, if you believe this, it will flatten you. 
If you're saved by grace, there is nothing intrinsically better in me than the man who killed people in Virginia. There's nothing better in me. There's nothing better in me than, than the worst people you can imagine, intrinsically. If you believe that you had nothing about yourself that gives you a leg up over anyone else in the world, this is where Jesus will glow. So I invite you, friends, would you stop believing that you brought anything special to him? And don't, don't hear that as critical. Hear, hear that as freedom. Hear that as a freedom. It's in him that you are especially special, desirable, beloved, delighted in, sung over, held, rejoiced in, blessed, kept, guarded because of Christ. So friends, the, the invitation is to be honest. Just what Riley said. Be you because of Christ. Do you see the nuance? You have nothing to hide because of Christ. You can become self-aware because of Christ. You can learn to have discernment in the world because Jesus was judged for you. This is good news. You are that loved. Amen.